May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Our sermon text today will come from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. And in a moment, I will read all of Luke 21 from verse 5 down to verse 36. I believe it is important for us to hear the words of Jesus Christ as the backdrop for the sermon this evening as we will deal with some uh, strange and peculiar things that arise out of this text. And hopefully by the end, with God's help, we will have some clarity of what the Lord Jesus Christ had in mind when he preached these things. But first, I want to remind you of a story, an old fable, a children's fable. I remember hearing this as a kid and And maybe some of you have heard it or maybe your kids have heard it. But the story goes like this. The famous line from the story is. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. It's a story of Chicken Little. Chicken Little cried when an acorn fell from a tree and hit her on the head as she made her way through a forest. Stunned by this turn of events, she ran to find the lion to tell the lion what had happened. And along the way, she comes across several friends and tells them, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, you must help me find the lion. And finally, as they make their way around this community looking for the lion, a sly fox comes up and asks them if in fact they know where the lion is. And they all say no. And the sly fox says, I do. And they believe the sly fox and follow the sly fox into her den. And she says, he walks on and on until he comes to his den. Come right in, says Foxy Loxy. They all go in, but they never, never come out again. Well, many people come to Luke 21. And they leave much like Chicken Little did. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. And they run around looking for the lion to tell the lion what they've discovered. Only like Chicken Little's friends, they come across many deceivers and many false teachers who tell them things that they want to hear, but things that are not true and things that ultimately ruin their lives. The sky is falling. The sky is falling is not the right response to the things that we are going to hear in Luke 21. As we will see, Jesus expected his followers who heard him teach these things to respond to his words with faith and hope, not with hysteria and frenzy, but with faith and hope. Jesus drew a lot of attention to this prediction of his coming in a cloud with power and glory. And he hung an awful lot of his own credibility on this prediction about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in that generation. In other words, Jesus expected all of his words in Luke 21 to be fulfilled within 40 years of this prediction. And here's why it matters. I'm beginning at the end of the sermon because I want you to know where this is going. Here's why it matters. If all of these things did not happen as Jesus prophesied and predicted, then Jesus was a false prophet. And if he was a false prophet, he must not be trusted or obeyed at all. But... If all these things did happen as Jesus prophesied and predicted, then Jesus was a true prophet 
And if he was a true prophet, he must be trusted and obeyed in all things. And so with that as the backdrop, I ask you to stand and pay very close attention to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 5 to 36. And since it is more important for us to hear the words of Christ than the words of the pastor about the words of Christ, I want to read a significant portion of this chapter. Hear the word of God. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. 
So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole world. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, preaching, and the hearing of his word and all the church says. You may be seated. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of the Lord Jesus Christ will never pass away. I'm going to do my best in the next few minutes to follow the advice that every preacher's wife has ever given him, and that is to kiss the sermon. Keep it simple, sweetie. And it will do that by exploring three basic points. The first I want to look at the pastoral charge that Jesus gave his disciples. Second, I want us to look at the prophetic insights that Jesus gave to his disciples. And then third and finally, I want us to listen to some practical advice, practical applications that we find arising from this text. The disciples asked Jesus some very pointed questions about time and events, when and what and how and why. But before Jesus answered those questions, he gave them a set of instructions that were relevant to them. Maybe not to you, but relevant to them. They needed to hear this. And what I love about what Jesus does here is that Jesus shows himself to be the pastor of pastors. These men are nervous and worried. And Jesus says, let me give you some instructions. This is how you need to deal with what is about to happen. So he stabilizes them by telling them the truth about what was about to happen to them. We can summarize all of these instructions in this way by saying that Jesus instructed these disciples to be dogmatic. I know dogmatic is a bad word to a lot of people, but if you take what it really means and not what you think it means, it's actually a good word here. He wants the disciples to be dogmatic, meaning that they cannot be moved or swayed or shifted around by the circumstances of life. They need to stand firm and stand their ground. And in order to do that, they're going to have to be discerning and they're going to have to be disciplined and they're going to have to be devout and they're going to have to be determined. Jesus is sending them on a mission. He is sending them into a storm. He is sending them into hellfire and he cannot allow them to go into that situation half cocked. This is not a time for them to go in weak and weary and wavering and unsure about who Jesus is. They need to be dogmatic in this very positive sense. He's warning them about changes that are coming upon the world within their generation, and they need to be ready for it. 
He tells them about all kinds of signs, little signs that will be pointing them to a big sign. And he wants them to have their eyes open. Be discerning. Look around and pay attention to what's happening in life. Be discerning because not everyone that comes preaching to you will come preaching the truth. Be discerning about who you listen to. And so they've got to be cautious. They also need to be disciplined because they're going to be in some very tight situations. Life is going to be very difficult for them over the next 40 years. They don't know it's going to be 40 years. They don't know when it's going to start. But life is going to be difficult for them for 40 years. And Jesus is telling them, walk by faith every inch of the way. Don't sit around and calculate all of the ways you're going to say something. Don't compose premeditated apologies for what happens to you when you stand before kings and governors. And when you are brought up on trial. Don't make carefully prepared defenses. You don't have time for that. What you do have time for is time for faith. So when you're in those moments, just trust that Jesus is going to, by his spirit, give you the words. Now, on a side note, these are not promises that Jesus gave to me or to you. These are promises he gave to his disciples. So if you're in a position of teaching and preaching, you better spend some time in a study and work those things out. But Jesus is equipping these guys for a very specific mission. He says, when you are in that tough time, this is your opportunity. This is how things are going to turn out. You're thinking this is the end. Jesus says, no, this is a chance for you to testify to the truth about what you know. So settle it in your mind. Fix it in your mind. Get this worked out beforehand that you are going to trust me. Jesus says to them, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to speak against. Now we know something now at this moment that the disciples did not know in that moment. We know that eight weeks after Jesus said this, things started happening and it got real in a hurry. This whole notion of take up your cross and following Jesus went from being a theory to a practice. Things became very concrete and real for them. Eight weeks after Jesus said this, they're already in trouble. And the book of Acts shows us that Jesus was true to his word because the the apostles were speaking above and beyond their natural ability, above and beyond their educational achievements. And they were doing it by the power of the spirit of Christ. People saw the boldness of Peter and John, for example, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. But the thing they recognized is that these men had been with Jesus. The devotion they had to Jesus in those three years leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem needed to be carried over beyond into this next generation. Jesus is telling them what to expect personally and existentially in the very near future. It is a lot to take in. Imagine being in their sandals and listening to this. One minute, they're marveling at the beauty of the architecture around them. The next minute, Jesus says, the whole world is about to fall apart and you guys are going to be right in the middle of it. Don't waver. Don't lose your devotion. Don't be rattled by what's about to happen. Hang in there. The whole world is going to hate you. Everyone's coming against you guys. 
And he gives them a layer of things. Look at this. Religious leaders are coming after you. Social and political forces are coming after you. Your family and friends are coming after you. These are not things you want to hear as you're making a tour of the most holy city in the world. The place where God has promised to come meet his people. These are not the words you expect to hear from Jesus. After all this talk of jubilee and all this talk of festival and banquets and parties and grace. And now he's telling us the world's going to fall apart and we're going to be in the middle of that. Religious leaders are coming. They're going to lay hands on you, persecute you, deliver you to synagogues and prisons. You guys are going to be whipped and flogged and stoned. You guys are going to be in trouble. And it's not just your own people that are going to do it. It's the Gentiles, people outside of this community. They're going to get in on the action as well. The whole world is about to be rocked super hard. And you guys are going to be right there in the middle of it. You got to be devout. You got to keep your devotion to Christ. You're going to stand in front of kings and rulers as the witnesses of Jesus Christ. That is not a time for weak knees. That is not a time for caving in. Your family and friends are going to hand you over. They're going to think you're nuts, that you've lost it. They're not going to take it anymore. The enemies that you will find in your life will be enemies from your own household. This echoes what Jesus had said to them earlier in the Gospel of Luke when he said, from now on in one house they will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and on and on it goes. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, they cannot be my disciples. So Jesus was realistic with them the whole time, but now it's all getting very real. We know from the book of Acts that these things started breaking upon these disciples about two months after Jesus said these things. And it continued on for at least the next 40 years. These disciples who are walking around on a tour of the holy city, living in peace and comfort one day, find themselves despised and rejected the next, imprisoned and stoned, persecuted, beheaded. Some were even crucified. Very few of these men made it to what we consider to be retirement age. These are some of the most expendable men in the history of the world. For them, taking up the cross and following Jesus was not just a neat slogan. It was a way of life and a very painful way of life. So Jesus calls them to be determined. They're headed into a firestorm. This is not a mission for doubtful and despairing men. This is a mission for devout and discerning men, disciplined and determined men who will stand firm and stay the course no matter what. A lot is going to happen over the next 40 years in that generation. So after Jesus has dealt with them as a shepherd and given them this pastoral counsel, now we can turn our attention to this prophetic insight. If you pay close attention to what Jesus said, and I know for some, you've just heard this perhaps again for the first time. But if you go back and read, you will hear things that you've heard earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has been talking about the day of destruction in Jerusalem and the fall of the temple throughout the Gospel of Luke. And he's echoing things that you hear from the law and the prophets. And so 
In Deuteronomy 28, for example, we hear all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. And then the law goes on to describe how the city of Jerusalem will will be besieged. And what will happen within that city? Terrible, horrible things. You shall eat the fruit of your own womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress which your enemies shall distress you. And this is coming about because of their covenant breaking, their disobedience and rejection of the word of God. The prophets also said it, as we heard in the scripture reading before the sermon in Isaiah 13. The people were told to wail for the day of the Lord is near. Destruction from the Almighty will come. All hands will be feeble. Every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in labor like a woman. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. And on and on it goes describing how... Creation is falling apart. The world is undoing itself around them. And what all of this comes down to in Luke 21 is that these are the gruesome pictures of what happened in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Forty years after Jesus predicted all of these strange and curious things, these things came to pass in Jerusalem. Again, throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus has been telling his disciples when and where and why these things are going to happen. As R.C. Sproul said, Jesus hung an awful lot of his own credibility on this prediction. And that's to put it mildly. As you read through the gospel of Luke, you see that Jesus is driving the story somewhere. He's trying to get us to think about something. And we might wonder, well, what does the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple have to do with me? Why does it even matter? I mean, that was then. This is now. We live in the United States of America, in North Texas. There's no connection, no relevance here. I'm not saying you think that way, but I know many people who do think in these terms. That was then. This is now. But why does it matter? Several years ago, I was visiting a friend it was a new friend, and we were, I was checking out his bookcase. That's what I do, by the way, when I visit your house for the first time. I look at your bookcase. I want to know what you're reading, if there's anything I can borrow. I was looking at his bookcase, and I saw that he had on his shelf a book called Why I Am Not a Christian by Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell was a well-accomplished and influential British philosopher, mathematician, educator, and activist in the 20th century. I had not thought of Bertrand Russell for many years until this past week. And I was listening to a fantastic lecture by R.C. Sproul in which he mentioned Bertrand Russell in connection with Luke 21. Piqued my interest. Turns out Bertrand Russell said that one of the reasons he was not a Christian was due to defects that he saw in the teachings of Jesus. According to Bertrand Russell, Jesus made specific claims and predictions in texts like Luke 21 that did not come to pass. He argued that since Jesus did not come in a cloud with power and glory in that generation, as he predicted, then he was not a superlatively wise and good teacher. Why? 
because he was misleading at worst and mistaken at best. Now, before any of you say, well, that's just ridiculous. That's ludicrous. Why do we care what Bertrand Russell had to say about things? I want to encourage you to tap the brakes for just a moment and see that he's picked up on something very important here. Something I alluded to at the outset, right? Bertrand Russell and critics like him are onto something very important. Jesus insisted emphatically that these things were going to take place within one generation of his predictions. That means soon after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, within 40 years. If all these things did not happen as Jesus prophesied and predicted, then Jesus was a false prophet. And if he was a false prophet, he must not be trusted or obeyed. But if all these things did happen as Jesus prophesied and predicted, and we believe they did, then Jesus was a true prophet. And as a true prophet, he must be trusted and obeyed in all things. This is why it matters. This is why things like this matter. Now, one of the ways we can know that Jesus' predictions came to pass in the time and in the place that he predicted is this. We know because of the help of the Holy Spirit in granting us faith. But that's a deep theological reason, isn't it? Here's another reason. We know because of what non-Christian historians tell us about the events of that time. The details with which Jesus predicted the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple were corroborated by two non-Christian historians. Maybe others, but at least two. Tacitus, a Roman historian, and Josephus, a Jewish historian. Now keep in mind that as non-Christian historians, they have no knowledge of Jesus' predictions that we know of. In other words, they weren't reading the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. They have no reason to give evidence to corroborate the details of Jesus' prediction. And yet, in God's providence... They did that very thing. After the Roman army sacked and burned and demolished the city of Jerusalem, these historians simply recorded what they saw and what they heard when they were at Jerusalem in those days. Tacitus from a Roman perspective, Josephus from a Jewish perspective. And Josephus, by the way, was a Pharisee. He was born after the time of Christ and lived in that generation of which Jesus spoke. In his book, The War of the Jews, sometimes called the Jewish War, Josephus describes with astonishing details things Jesus said would come to pass. And these are fresh on my mind because I read it this weekend and I encourage you to do the same. I'll give you the link uh, in our Facebook group or on our website, but you got to read this stuff. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. After describing some very strange astral phenomenon, talking about what was happening in the skies with the stars and all of that, he goes on to describe something else that happened in the clouds around Jerusalem on the 21st day of a month. 21st day of a month like today is the 21st day of a month, an ordinary day. And here's what he said. Besides these signs in the heavens... A few days after the feast, on the one and twentieth day of the month, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon occurred or appeared. 
I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable were it not related by those that saw it and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. He's hesitant. He's reluctant to say what he's about to say. But then he says it. For before sunset, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running among the clouds and surrounding of cities. Moreover, at that feast, which we call Pentecost, as the priests were going up by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was to perform their sacred ministrations, the priest said that in the first place they felt a quaking And a great noise, and after that they heard the sound as of a great multitude saying, Let us remove hence. In other words, let us go away. And thus the Son of Man came in a cloud with power and glory, just as he said he would do. Truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It matters very much whether what Jesus predicted in Luke 21 happened within 40 years or not. Now, maybe it's not been on your radar, but it's been on the radar of critics of the Christian faith. It's been on the radar of well-meaning Christians who are trying to push these things off to the end of the age, beyond our time even, to say they haven't yet been fulfilled. You can see the problems there. But Jesus insisted that his disciples and the people in that area were going to witness these things unfold in the next generation. Some of you will not taste death until these things come to pass, he said. So he's very clear about this. Now keep in mind that Luke's gospel was written in the early 60s AD, about five to ten years before the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. I know it's late in the afternoon. You're thinking, TMI, dude, let's move on. But here's why it matters. It's important because it shows that Luke was not writing his gospel in 2020 hindsight. He wasn't looking back on the ashes and smoke of Jerusalem saying, I'm going to fill this in to make Jesus look good. No, he wrote this in advance. And he shows us that it's actually the words of Christ that shape human history. And as his gospel is going out, We learn that Luke's gospel, like Matthew and Mark's gospels, which all went out before A.D. 70, they're not just telling the story about Jesus. They're not just talking about crucifixion, resurrection, as important as all of that is. Guess what they're doing? Embedded in their stories is they are giving the Christian church, early believers, a survival guide. The whole world, as you know it, is about to unravel. Here's how you must live. Here's your survival guide. In Luke 21, Jesus gave his disciples instructions on how to live in the time leading up to his judgment against Jerusalem and Judea. And he gave these practical applications to them. 
Watch out. Don't be misled. Don't follow deceivers. Don't be terrified at what you see. Watch yourselves. Stay awake and pray. These are the instructions he gave. This was their survival guide for those days in that generation. But what, if anything, does all of this mean for us in the 21st century? Generations removed from those days. I want you to think about what we've been doing today and what we're going to continue doing. Put all this in context of worship. We have already prayed the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in a moment, we will confess our faith, the Christian faith, not just our faith, but the faith of all Christians through all the ages. We will confess the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And as a part of that confession of faith, what will we say? We believe the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. He ascended into heaven, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. In other words, we're not saying that Jesus came in A.D. 70 and that was it. He's never coming again. We're saying that he fulfilled his prophecy and prediction from Luke 21 and A.D. 70. But we're also saying that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so how shall we live? What shall we do? What does this mean for us? Well, I could do no better than to echo the instructions of Jesus. Here's your survival guide. Read the Gospels. As one of my teachers said, read the gold off of your Gospels. Read them again and again. Listen to the words of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ and do what He said. In specific, we could look at things He said here. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. This is our survival guide. Stay awake at all times. Stay awake at all times. It means be alert. Be aware of what's going on. And pray as you stay awake and as you're aware. Don't give up on these things. Watch your life and watch for Jesus. Watch your life and watch for Jesus. That's what He counsels us to do. Cultivate a transcendent perspective that sees beyond the muck and mire of this life. That helps you to see that there's more to the story than what meets the eye. That helps you to see that Jesus is coming and that you must be aware and awake that one day He will come to judge the living and the dead. Pray that you will escape the judgment and pray that you will have the strength to stand in the presence of the Son of Man.